Welcome to the Friendly Maples Lounge, the monthly podcast all about board games, new and old, weird and fun, and our thoughts and feelings about their playability. I'm your host, Jen Flores. And I'm your host, Chris Ingold. And today we have a very special guest, my gorgeous husband, Rod. Say hi, Rod. Hi, Rod. <laughs> As we can tell, Rod's a bit of a smart ass, but that's okay. We appreciate his smart ass sense of humor. So we do have some really awesome game stuff we are going to be talking about today. You just have to wait to find out exactly what that is. Before we do, we're going to learn a little bit more about our guests. So Chris, why don't you start us off with a question for Rod? Well, Rod, so t- tell us, so you must be, well, I know you're in a house completely full of board games because I've been there being myself, but t- t- tell us, what, what's your favourite board game? probably have to be Millennium Blades, which doesn't hit the table very often. It is a board game about card games and the people who play card games. So, the whole see, so that's, that's what I know, about card game players. Yeah, so it's supposed to simulate the whole being a player on the competitive circuit of a card game. You just... You're buying up your cards, trying to build up your collection, and then you're trying to build your deck for the Day of Torment, and then on a very small portion of the game, you actually get to play the cards. So the mm-hmm. it's broken. Out I haven't actually steps, played it yet myself. Yeah, um, it's broken into two steps: the buying and trading phase, where you have a real a timer set up, and you're just real time trying to buy cards from the store, trying to trade with each other to build up your collection to make it worth more points and then you have the actual competitive tournament phase where you play the cards in sequence and trying to get the most points and then based on how well you do you get points now you can either win by having the best collection or being the best or you know doing the best in tournaments but it like it's really pick and choose your battles kind of thing it's very thematic like this sets which different cards and mechanics so it, it really does feel like you're playing magic the gathering without actually playing magic the gathering it's a huge box as that well sounds... it's another another one of those games with an enormous box that takes up almost its own shelf i believe that i, I was just looking it. at it i believe I've i need not, to buy not... it yeah. yeah like it's a big box it's almost it's like probably like that it's got two boxes for all the expansions. I believe it that I needed over two thousand sleeves for all the cards. Because I have every expansion. I've I've just looked at it. I haven't seen a picture of the box yet and I was trying to look in the images, but the uh, I've I've not heard of it. I think I vaguely remember seeing the box probably, but <laughs> unsurprisingly given the like, size of it. Um, but it sounds amazing. I was just looking at the strap line. Players, players who are playing the greatest CCG in the universe yep. is what it says on on Four Game Beat, which sounds exactly like what you said. But that's 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 very meta, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's very meta. And what I love about it is the fact that all the card art is done by one person, and the, the artist is obsessed with ducks. So there's like every new expansion he. You had to hide some duck in one form or another. <laughs> the cards are very pretty. So, I've had a look at the cards, but just haven't mm. played it. Like, I believe one of the sets is called Ducky Rangers, 
which is a parody on like Sailor Moon and the Power Rangers, but they're all duck based. It's, it doesn't take itself seriously, but it's a very, it's definitely one of those you have to plan your day around kind of game because it will, it's a giant brain drain. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons that I haven't played it yet. <laughs> because finding time when, you know, both of us have enough brain energy to actually play a huge game like that. Like, we've had to schedule for weeks sometimes to play big games. I guess that, that brings sounds, us... sounds quite brain scrambling, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it just sounds fascinating. Uh, the, 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 the kind of a game, because you could have a, could you have a game that was like a game about playing Millennium Blades? <laughs> and how complicated would that be well, uh, if you wanted to take it up the, to the next level they also have the Millennium Blades role playing game Ooh, and in that do you role play people that are playing Millennium Blades yep <laughs> oh Jesus like, can we get a little and, more meta <laughs> and you actually use the cards in the game to, to do like um, stuff in the, in the RPG so yeah it does get a little meta but the whole thing That's... is meta because every card is a reference to a pop culture or card card game or, you know, popular popular figure. It's the most meta game to ever meta. That's and, and you're a massive Magic fan, aren't you, Rod? So that kind of helps. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. Yeah, like uh, all my friends who love, who play Magic, love that game. Because it does, mm. it does hit the same notes that Magic players love. Like, they, you know, Customizing your a deck with your own cards, um, curating your your collection to your player style. You know, make trying to maximize your your return on investment by getting by getting rid of cards you don't like for cards you actually want. So it hits the same strides. And I guess that brings us to our next question: of How did you get into the hobby of board gaming, Rod? Oh, well, when when I moved out of home at the ripe old age of went um i did the whole traditional oh my parents my parents don't like me playing card games and board games because it's a waste of time and money when i could be working or studying which is the only thing that you can ever do in your life so um i went to join a local blood bowl league which didn't pan out quite the way i thought it would because um it was, it was just a really, it was just a bunch of 30 to 40 something year olds playing Blood Bowl. But it wasn't quite my scene, especially since I wanted to socialize instead of just, just actually play the board, play the game. But during that time, I met um, Cam, who was the best man at the wedding, who then he went, hey, we, you know, we just started playing anime card games and such. And then I think that eventually overflowed around 2000 I want to say 15 because that's roughly when the board game renaissance started happening because a lot of video games started going down the route of we must monetize everything and charge you for and if just breathing air we'll charge you for that you know and we'll call it loot boxes and all these other stuff so people got part of that and went all right well we, I can buy a board game you know you you get what's in the box, and it's got, you know, you don't get charged every time you want to open the box. So that thing, that was the big decision. People moved away from video games to board games. Plus, you know, you get to talk to people and slap them across the face if they get on your nerves a little too much. 
Absolutely. It, it is like, you know, like a board games and card games and such are an excuse to socialize for people our, our age. Like, we don't just go there to play the games. We're there to, you know, hang around with the people playing the board games. Which is why we never, ever follow the recommended um, playtime on the board game because <laughs> we double it because we spend the time, you know, socializing. I don't think I've ever played a board game that actually took the amount of time that it said it would on the box. What about you, Chris? Oh, well, I, I had a chat. I, I, I have almost like a little bit of a league because there are games in a collection which are accurate. There are a few. I'm going to give the designers who've made those games, you know, and put that, that number on the box credit for getting it right. Um, there are some that are wrong. There are some that are badly wrong. And there are some that are ludicrous. And probably one of the most ludicrous I've got is there's, um, there's a game by a, a British designer called Tristan Hall. He's made a series of games um, around a fantasy world called Killforth. The kind of like a, a kind of the, the gloom of Killforth, the shadows of Killforth, and the call of Killforth is the new piratey one that's coming out. They're all kind of the same game. And um, they're, they're, there's kind of a system underneath it, which is a, it's kind of a quest system. You're all going out on quests. Often it's a better game played, played solo to be honest but it's you can play it solo you can play with up to four players um semi-cooperatively or competitively and you're wandering through completing casts getting encounters trying to get strong enough to defeat a boss who will inevitably basically batter you at the end of it and you'll almost win but not quite and the sell of the killforth games is that they have probably the most beautiful art or card art of any game in existence hands down and that's right, and, and, and they're, they're phenomenal for that. Um, but they have a, a, a kind of an indication on the game. It says, yeah, you should be able to get it in in like 45 minutes a player, right? A single player game with this will take you around about three hours. If you know what you're doing, you might be able to do it in two if you read the cards. And I had a bit of a kind of like a chat with Tristan when we were, it was in the middle of COVID and we were kind of on a, on a Discord chat and, and I put him and I said, right, so are you going to tell the truth about the runtime? And he was going, what do you mean you'll tell the truth about the runtime? And eventually he got, well, well, I can do it when I'm playtesting. And we got the, basically the card, the playtime he's put on there is what he can do when he's whipping through <laughs> testing the balance of his game, not looking at any of the art, not looking at any of the cards going bang, 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 bang. So, well, mm. I did it. <laughs> and he knows, he knows full well he's lying, but he, he he's kind of like a little bit. I can't, I can't sell the game, putting the actual playtime down. That it's a fun. If it's it, it's a good game, like it's a really good game, and that comes down to that thing about the market. If you put the playtime of a really long game on a really long game. It no can stop people buying it. it. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that's that's a bit of a challenge. But yeah, there, there's some there's some big, big fibs that are, that are told around that, um, which is which is always like a, a bit a bit frustrating. But shorter games are generally more accurate. You know, if something says it's going to take twenty minutes, it's far more likely to actually take twenty minutes. And those games, most of them, I've got a pretty pretty spot on. And some euros, like old school euros, I think to be fair, would as well. Like I suspect if you looked at the Carcassonne box, I can't remember what it says now, but I'd be unsurprised if that one was fairly accurate yeah absolutely so all of our listeners that have been that have listened to our first episode know that our podcast is really aimed at looking at how friendly games are if there's something a little bit different about you so do you mind telling us rod a little bit about your neurodiversity and what makes you a bit different um i i got diagnosed formally when i was 18 in 2006, um, my parents for the longest time were trying to get the doctors to say something. I was, they, I had a lot of studies and stuff done to me because they realized, hey, something's wrong with this person, but we don't have the word for it just yet. And 
there wasn't enough study being done about it that doctors were like, oh, you know, he's acting weird like this, but he might grow out of it. I don't want to diagnose in case we, we mess up his life. And then 18 years old, yep, he's got Asperger's, he's got ADHD. We, we only felt comfortable because he's an adult now and he's not, definitely not growing out of it, which, you know, it's not, not the case nowadays. And do you think that it makes it harder for you to play board games or do you think it's something that designers don't take into account that much when they're designing games? Hmm. Well, I'm not... I've had a lot of experience being told to sit down and stay quiet. So I do have that skill set for it. Um, but it, there are definitely things that could be done to improve um, people who might not have who might not have a great grasp on their autism because you know it, it affects it affects your concentration, it affects your ability to sit down. It sometimes it affects your ability to read social cues. Because one of the biggest things in board games is making understanding a lot of complex rules in a short period of time and knowing when it's and you know knowing when it's your turn to do stuff and sometimes that's something that's of that a lot of game developers just take for granted i think the biggest hurdle sorry long story short is that there's no formal way of writing a rule book because everyone's pet peeve who plays a lot of board games is some rule books are greatly written some are not and it all comes down to did the game developer did the game developer know, know how to explain their board game to someone who has no clue actually we came across a really great example of that didn't we rod we uh sat down to play star trek ascendancy definitely a game oh, i would love to do an episode about and 100 percent, the person who wrote that rule book loved the sound of their own voice like they could have been explained in two pages and it's like a 20 page <laughs> rule book <laughs> so yeah definitely someone was liking the sound of their own voice or thought they were an amazing writer when they wrote that one so all my love i love the game but the rule book is crap <laughs> so oh, yeah. No, like I feel also part of it was it had a lot of a lot of information it didn't need in the middle of the rule book. Because when you were trying to just get the rule and the basic game flow, it was like, oh by the way, if you watch Star Trek episode season three to episode twenty six where the card punches a crawl, um, it's a bit like that in the board game. I'm like, What? And what does the what does the actual yeah. T V show have to do with this? Yeah, it it's very poorly written. So moving on of, to, I was gonna, no, go on, Chris. What were you gonna say? I was I was gonna I was gonna mention a, a, a rule book. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure that we're gonna have episodes on on, on rule books at some point because it, it it's you know it's a perennial challenge. But um, one of the the rule books I had in mind when you were talking about was that the rule book to um, this game called Cosmic Frog which is about being giant space frogs eating up the galaxy and then regurgitating up into their own personal little collection, but trying to do so in a way that makes neat spiral lines and changing your powers all the time. And it's completely bonkers. And it's also brilliant. But the uh, the rule book has clearly been written by somebody who can write clear rules. They're not just delighting in the sound of their own voice. 
but they like writing them mathematically. And um, oh, what no. they could do with is actually having those things as FAQs and writing the simple version of the rules. Because what it will effectively kind of say, well, if this is X, then you will go 3X plus 4. And effectively, the thing reads like a mathematical formula. It's 100% precise. If you read it, you won't be any doubt as to what the rules are. But the act of just wading through it is like, look, just give us a summary in plain English <laughs> on the front and then put this in the FAQs. And that is a, that's the ideal thing. I think that's one of the real days, isn't it? That you can sometimes, you need three different versions of the same rules, like fantasy flight games. Do that as a thing. You know, they'll come up with a learn to play guide. This is, here's how you play it. And they'll come up with a rules reference in alphabetical order. Here's your reference. And they do that for everything. And, and it's worked for them and it, it's a really good format, but that's an extra printing cost. And I know for like oh, a lot absolutely. of designers, there's that challenge, but good editing, it's a, it's a skill. I think that's the, uh, that's good. And, and not everyone has it. Yeah, I think probably Kickstarter games are edited probably a lot better. So some, some, some are. I think one of the things is also about blind playtesting because you hear this a lot and and um, even some of the big Kickstarter games are guilty of, of doing this a little wrongly, which is to what extent when you're playtesting a game, do you send out the rules and the game, the prototype, whether it's print and play, whether it's a little bit posher, whatever it is, to your playtesters and say, I am not going to stand over you while you test this. You take the rules I wrote and what happened and, and they play it and they submit some information back on it even better but a lot more hassle is to say please play it and video it so that i can watch yeah. it back afterwards and because for a designer to sit in the room when other people are looking at their rules and playing their game actually being there physically i've i've seen that on a number of occasions and you can see the designer just and i understand it i think i'd be the same if it were me they're, they're like basically Twitchy. going twitch twitch you've got it wrong you've got it wrong you don't do that oh, that's a bad move that's a bad move and it's just like stop <laughs> Then that's how you test your rule book. You test your rule book when you go, how did your playtest go? And you go, it didn't. We got to move two and nobody knows what to do. It's like, booyah. Right. <laughs> right. Insight. Um, and so I think what you know is, is, is the games that don't do any of that or enough of that don't have good rule books. But it's, Absolutely. yeah. Mm. And now a word from our sponsors. Jen and I are both members of the Melbourne Meeples team. So here's a quick shout out to our listeners here in the Melbourne area to let you know what's coming up over the next couple of months. Melbourne Meeples is a non-for-profit group set up over 10 years ago to help make board gaming more accessible to our community by running game days, conventions and other events across our fair city. Our big news for April 23 is that OzBunnyCon, our eastern suburbs Easter convention, is back again at the Glen Waverley Bowls Club this holiday. Four days of board gaming with our amazing library from Good Friday all through to Easter Monday with the odd break for chocolate thrown in. Yay, chocolate! We've got our regular Northern Gaming meetups too, with Northern Suburbs Euro Gamers at the Croxton Hotel in Thornbury every second Sunday. And on the in-between weeks, there is Audacious Games every other Saturday at the Audacious Monk Cellars in Preston. Out West, our popular monthly Board in the West event is on the first Friday of every month. The next one's in May, as for Easter weekend, we're all going to be down in Glen Waverley for BunnyCon. Phew, that was a lot. But don't worry, check our website, Facebook page, or meetup.com for more details. And if you want OzBunnyCon tickets, be quick, as it will sell out. News still to come about an exciting and different event coming in May. And of course, MeepleCon's 10th anniversary later in the year. 
Thanks for listening and back to the podcast. So, Jen, what have you been playing this week? Um, that's a really good question. I think the last thing we played was when we were actually playing Clank together. But we did play a game after that that you taught us, Chris, which was, was it called Cat in the Box? Cat in the Box. Yeah, so that, that was what they said. That's a, Cat in the Box is a quantum trick-taking game, which is it's, it's kind of um, a cheesy strap line, but it's basically to say that you don't know what suit a card is until you played it down. And it's a trick-taking game, so like like standard card games like Wisp. But Jen, you came to that, and, and that was something that... I can't remember, Rod, so whether you'd sort of played trick-taking games before, but Jen, you said that you that was something that was new to you as well, so you had to sort of like try and pick up both of them at once. How did you find that? Well, I think in terms mm. of trick-playing games, I thought about it afterwards, and I think... Spoon. <laughs> it's probably one of the most basic trick playing games. That's the one where you're going around, you're like passing cards, just a deck of cards. And then as soon as you get a run or a set of four, um, you have to pick up the spoon from the middle of the table. And then it's all about who grabs the spoons the fastest and the person who doesn't get a spoon is the loser. <laughs> And sometimes people will grab and they don't actually have the set. And if somebody calls you bluff on it and you don't actually have your set, then you're the loser. So, yeah, it's in terms of it, would that be sort of a trip, trick-taking game, like one where you're like bluffing a little bit and hoping people don't? There's, there can be a bit of that if um, i mean but most of the time people don't bluff too much in a, in a trick-taking game when they're bidding but every now and again if somebody's okay. got a howler of a hand you know they might they might do or if or if, if, if you're playing and everyone's had a couple or like a late night because they used to play a lot of wizards at this university then that's exactly the kind of time when yeah people would come up with something ludicrous to throw everyone off the scent but now that's that's probably more sort of a set collection game so yeah but that was that was the challenge because it, it can't, can't so Cat in the Box is meant to be a I game really for people it. who do know how to play it and go, so you, but you picked it up straight away anyway. So it's it wasn't that head uh, doing the game. Rod, what did you think of Cat in the Box? I, hmm, it just took a while to understand the concept of it. Because um, like when you said trick-taking games and the way you explained it, I was thinking of, you know, um, what's that thing you play in high like, school? The thing you play in school? Like... I think it was called Seven, something like that, where you just, um, basically, you know, with a deck of cards and you're just trying to either play the same suit or play one number up. But, like, the, the high is always seven. Uno. Like, Uno, basically. But uh, what took me a while to understand was that uh, the color was the, the red color was the high, was the highest, um, yeah, it definitely, I think it took me a little while to pick up the concept of what are we actually doing here? But as soon as I picked up the concept of what we were doing, I was like, oh, okay, cool. So it's not necessarily the highest number or winning every single hand that is the difference. It's actually scoring what you say you're going to get. Mm. That's what actually makes the difference. So, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Is there anything that you've been playing this week, Chris, that's a bit different? So I've been, well, I've been teaching myself a game so that I can teach it um, by trying to play it, sort of, you know, put it out, play four players at the same time, walk through it, make it easy to teach. What's so hard? I do, do, do that quite often. This game's called, well, here's it. It's called Hegemony or Hegemony. Now I'm going to be kind of like pedantic here. Uh, the designers have said it's called Hegemony, 
but it's based on a Greek word, which would be hegemony. And in England, it's called hegemony. And in America, it would say hegemony. And I actually don't know what we should say here in Australia. So I'm going to say hegemony or something like that and just leave it at that. It's a game of political science where one of you plays the working class, one of you plays the middle class, one of you plays the capitalist class, and one of you plays the general state um, and it's been designed in a, a place where you'd have like a kind of European style sort of um, proportion representation type government to so the state that just wants to maintain its legitimacy and the status quo and keep the, the middle class, the capitalist class and the working class all happy enough with the state that they don't go and be too disruptive. So and it simulates everything from policy discussions, fiscal policy, export markets, immigration, different companies set up by different classes, food supply of food and luxuries and goods and so on. It even comes with a 35 page political science primer uh, oh uh, high God. school level and so each one of these classes plays a bit like root or vast or games that are sort of asymmetric plays completely differently there's a basic set of rules that are the same you'll get seven cards in your hand each turn you're going to play or each round is five rounds five turns each each turn you're going to either play a card for its power discard a card to do one of your basic actions and then you'll do a free action if you want to do a free action and that's it. You pass around. That's the same. Almost everything else is different because the capitalist class doesn't need workers. It just makes money. You, they're, they're, these people are just sitting around sort of oh, like making money God. off other people's workers. The working class are trying to get jobs and up their prosperity, but the working class can go on strike. Um, except the working class can't get a strike activated. If the capitalists bribe their workers by giving them a quick bonus before the working class send them out on strike. And the middle class are trying I to like... do stuff in the middle. And it's, it's yeah, that's been a brain explosion trying to learn it i feel like this is a game that rod would love <laughs> or hate one or the other he would either really really love it or he'd really really hate it i think the, the thing i want to see because I, I it's this is a game that's going to take like four hours to play it's really heavy the rules are very very well written the player aids are superb right but it is there's a lot going on and i think the best way of playing it is not to try and go in thinking, oh my God, what are the rules of all the other players so I know what they're trying to do to win? I think the best way to play it is to go, I know what my rules are, so if I'm playing the working class or whatever it is, and I know that that's the middle class, the capitalist class in the state, and this is what they're about, and leave it at that. Second game, you can work out what their rules are because you know we will grow up you know, in a, in a society with these sorts of structures in, in, in play. And so, you know, if we take an intuitive guess as to what it is that, you know, the, the other players might want to do, in this game, you're probably right. It's That's a little bit different than playing like Root. You actually have to know what the other characters are about. Um, so I think that would be the, the, the best thing. But it is, um, and I think that my family would actually enjoy it, even though it's that heavy, as long as I can teach it really, really, really well. So that's what my, uh, my quotes is. It's been raved about. It, it, and, and I can tell already that it's a phenomenal, phenomenal game. Uh, really well we designed. Have, we have rules mm. in our house about politics and when it can mm. be discussed because mm. I hate politics. Hate, 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 hate talking about it, hate hearing about it. Rod loves it. Rod's really into politics, reads heaps of political articles <laughs> and is always like, oh, did you hear blah? And I'm like, no, because I don't care. But it <laughs> so- makes you directly, babe. I know. I know politics affects everyone, but I'm I'm definitely one of those people. I grew up with my grandma was in politics and I got 
so overwhelmed by politics as a young person that I went, I don't want anything to do with this. But, you know, when something is really important, I'll discuss it and I'll talk about it. And I, I would actually probably really enjoy hegemony or hegemony or whatever we want to call it. And I would definitely give it a go at some point. We should do an episode about it. But yeah, sure. um, speaking of episode Mm -hmm. what game are we talking about this week chris so this week we were going to talk about a whole series of games we might talk about this the the latest of that series of games we might uh i think focus on because it's kind of awesome i mean we've got a couple of little nickels with it but it's kind of awesome um but we're going to talk about a well i think one of the most yeah I guess the most enduring evergreen series of games of this last decade of, uh, of game making, or six years, seven years, so forth since it first came out. Um, it's a deck building game. And I think we're probably worth having a bit of an intro to what deck building is. But it's also about adventuring, adventuring into deep, dark dungeons, adventuring into outer space, adventuring through twisty caverns, or if you happen to be sort of going underwater in an expansion or searching out the mummy's tomb in an expansion, this is Clank. Oh, the Clank. It's awesome. Clank is awesome. So Clank by Paul Denon. Um, so it, there is three, four baseline Clank games. There's Clank, a deck building adventure. Or I should say, hold on, I feel I should emphasize this. Clank, exclamation mark, a deck building adventure. Clank, <laughs> exclamation mark, in space, a deck building adventure. And then we've got Clank, exclamation mark, Catacombs, and Clank, exclamation mark, Legacy, which is partnered with Acquisitions Incorporated um, and has a whole Acquisitions Incorporated theme attached to it. And I've played half of them. You know, my, Jen's played half of them. My introduction to Clank was actually Clank Legacy. I had never played Clank before I played Legacy, and I loved it. Uh, I've not really? played Clank Legacy, and I, I, it's, uh, it's again about having the right group for it. It's just, it, 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 it's so it's. How does it feel playing vanilla Clank? I suppose you should talk about what Clank is in a bit. But how does it play, feel playing vanilla Clank after Clank Legacy? Oh, it feels very different. Like it, each um, Clank is its own um, flavor of dungeons. Because the first one was absolutely D and like D and D Basic Edition. Then you had like in, um, I forgot what it's called. It like it added a lot of expansions like the mummy's tomb, the underwater cave and all that. Um in Acquisitions Incorporated, it was felt more like a D tabletop game where you had like the DM trying to give you what the scenario is and then you trying to you know trapeze your way down the dungeon and hopefully make it out alive. I think we need to put a caveat on that, though, because we played Clank Legacy with a very good friend of ours, Cam, that Rod mentioned before, who happens to be a really amazing storyteller, and he does really fun voices. So during, if you've not played Clank Legacy, it's got a really great storybook with it, and he was reading it out in a very, very entertaining way. So I was, like, jonesing for bits to come up where Cam had to read us the story again, and... I have a small confession. I haven't actually played Clank, just Clank, the first edition. I've played all of the other ones, but I've never played the actual base game of Clank. That's Cam. He's got it. He's got all the expansions for that one. 
Meanwhile, we have... But then Clank is very... Clank, Clank is... I think it's similar enough to Clank in Space mm. that you get yeah. the feel of it. Or between the two of them, or between the three that we have played, you could probably work back to what the original Clank was like. But no, I've, I've only played the original Clank once. Um, my yeah. Clank foundation has been on Clank in Space um, rather than sort of the original Clank. Um, so is it worth... I don't see it worth, because what Clank is, I think just for those that, that aren't familiar with it, and I know lots of gamers will, will know Clank to death, is a, it's a deck-building game. And it's an adventure game. And I thought, my, my, is it worth maybe having a little bit of a total? What is a deck builder? And what's Absolutely. the history of deck builder? Because you hear this a lot and you'll see loads of games that have got bits of deck building in. It's one of the most popular sort of game mechanics of, of like the past sort of 15 years along with sort of worker placement games. Um, but it's actually new. I think worker placement games existed. If you go back into the distant past, you'll find them. But deck building games were a little bit of an invention. They came about in... Um, Let's find the sort of exact time when they came about. If I have a look at the uh, the first game, two thousand and eight um, yeah. is when sort of the first uh, first true deck building game came out. So, what deck building games are to put sort of a bit of history sort of behind this is um, a guy um, called uh, Donald uh, Vacharia, Vacharino rather. So let's say this right, Donald X Vacharino, um, basically uh, he's a game designer. I was having to think about it and going, I hope playing all these like collectible card games, you know, like Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, whatever it is. But the best bit is when you're sitting at home assembling your deck, right? Actually, I don't like the bit where you play with other people and competing. That's boring, right? You know, kind of, it's fine. <laughs> but I, you know, quite, it was okay, but it's not the best bit. The best bit of the game is building your pack of cards in the first place. And then it's kind of like, I just want to do more of that. So he kind of sat down and said, well, maybe I could build a game that felt like that so he designed a game called dominion which right now is is it's, it's still a great game but it actually feels like a little bit you think oh it feels a bit just like not a complete game because the mechanic from dominion has now been used in so many other games but um but dominion you had a concept where it says okay you start off with the same set of very basic cards so thinking like pokemon land that'd be like your energy cards and i'd, I'd no Pokemon more than Magic because my son's obsessed with Pokemon, but it's your basic cards. And you've got to mark it. And as you go through playing cards from your hand, you'll then be able to go and buy new cards from the market, build up your deck with stronger cards. And so you're playing cards, getting better cards, playing cards, getting better cards. In Dominion, you get to a point when a certain amount of cards have been bought and everyone actually just goes through their deck and says, how good is my deck? You know, how many points have I got on the cards within my deck? Um, so that was kind of how that worked out. And just a, a little bit of a shout out. I, I, I was looking up Donald uh, X Vacherino on um, Board Game Geek and have a little bit of a look because he's basically obviously done very well for himself. Dominion's been an evergreen super hit game, loads of expansions. Uh, but he's got the best um, bio that I've read on Board Game Geek uh, for ages. I'm just going to read it out bio. because it's brilliant. Right. And he wrote it himself so he won't complain about me reading it. Um, Donald X was born in 1969 after years of not existing. Of his life, little is known. <laughs> Donald X is like something you've forgotten that no one wants you to remember. He's everything and nothing, but not at the same time. If you rotate Donald X 360 degrees, he'll only be standing upside down. You have to rotate him 720 degrees to get him back to where he started. You know how if you hook tons and tons of computers together, maybe they'll develop some kind of bizarre mass sentience? That's Donald X in a nutshell. In fact, Donald X is nothing more than a corrupt, profane monument to a slightly earlier version of himself. 
And that it. is where deck building came from. I feel like he likes uh, to be a, 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 a pan-dimensional being called Donald Lezen. So basically, Clank is a deck builder and loads of other games. And what's happened over time is that a bit of that deck building mechanic has become normalized. And what usually happens is this. You get a hand of cards, you've got your deck of cards, start off with 10 and Clank, it's the same as many other games. You deal yourself a hand, usually five cards in most deck builders. When it's your turn, you take all your cards and your cards will enable you to do various things, right? So you use them all. They will also, as well as the things you can do with the cards, they'll enable you to buy new cards. And then when you get new cards and, you do, and you've done what you're going to do, you stick those things in a discard pile, carry on. Once you get to the end of your deck, you'll reshuffle and all those cards you bought are now in your deck. And Clank is no different. The deck building in Clank works exactly the same. That's the classical deck building model it still does. So what your cards do is they'll have, you know, you dial your cards out and some of them will have numbers on them in blue that tell you what you can buy from the market. But they've also got the other things you can do, such as walking through the dungeon, attacking beasties in the dungeon, and written on the cards will be a whole bunch of other things you can do in the dungeon. Because what Clank also is, is an exploration game of deep, dark adventure as you go deeper and deeper and deeper into a dungeon or a space station or a sunken um, tomb or a mummy curse or whatever it is, you know, whichever it is, or catacombs in the latest one. And you are trying to get the most valuable treasures out of that dungeon while building up the best possible deck of like um, magic spells, inventories, people that you've picked up on the wayside, because that's who your cards are. It's all the kind of like buddies you find deep in the depths. And then get the hell out of there because there's a big bad beast and a big bad beast is getting angry. And when someone steals one of his things, he gets angrier and comes out and is attacking and attacking and attacking, right? And the idea is you want the most valuable thing, but then everyone is going, I'm going to get the hell out of here. Thanks, mate. And if you're last out there and you don't get out in time, you're going to end up with diddly squat. So a big part of Clank is pushing your luck to get out of there. And as you're doing that, you're creating noise, which is called Clank. And this Clank represents itself in little wooden cubes. Those wooden cubes go into a bag. You then draw out of the bag when the dragon attacks or the beast attacks, depending on what version you're playing, um, and you'll draw cubes out. And if those cubes have got your colour, they turn straight into hit points against your character. So you're also pushing your luck in terms of how much noise am I going to make? How difficult am I going to get? So the whole thing joins together into this beautiful sort of synergy of mechanics but it's actually a really straightforward game you've got your deck builder so you've got your exploration straightforward it and the rest of it the cards is just brilliantly entertaining um and it's it's, it's absolutely fantastic um and recently um so that's uh, within this last week um we were playing um, the very latest iteration of Clank uh, that I brought along, which is called Clank Catacombs. And in Clank Catacombs, the map, instead of being a fixed board with a fixed map on it, has tiles where you expand and explore and you don't know what the map's going to end up like. Um, so, Jen and Royal Jen, what did you think of Clank Catacombs? I loved it. Mm. I actually think that that tile building board adds something so amazing and special to the game and look to give you an idea of how easy clank is to play even being thoroughly exhausted after working huge hours during the week when we first started playing clank legacy i picked it up within about five minutes of playing 
It's really, it's very easy to play. The mechanics, I definitely think Clank is a beginner game, 100%. As much as we were saying last week that we thought Ark Nova is an intermediate game, Clank is a game that you can pull out and play with beginners. Nobody will have any issues with it. It's a very level playing field. And yeah, definitely that that new mechanic of building the board as you go, I definitely think adds something really magical to the game that it wasn't missing, but it just added an extra. It's like having cake and it's got the most amazing icing on top, but then someone says, hey, did you know you can cut the cake in half and put icing and jam in the middle as well? It just, it added the extra icing and jam that the game didn't necessarily need, but is amazing. Rod, what did you think? Hey, it definitely added a little layer of complexity to a typical mm-hmm. game because you had to think not only did you have to think strategically of what cards am i going to buy what what treasure am i going for you also had to think spatially because it's not just the tiles weren't just and if i put this tile this way i can go left or right no it's it's wibbly wobbly lines everywhere and it does affect <laughs> how how what path you're going to take in and out of the dungeon so I believe I was actually that's I was going one way because I was like I want the monkey totem because I have this card that wants me to have the monkey totem. Meanwhile, everyone else on the table went a very similar route because that's where all the roads kind of led into. Actually, that's one really good thing as well that the new game does have is part of the mechanics while you are building that new board is that that board can shift while you're standing on it. So there is a card that comes out and says every player, uh, every board piece that has a player on it, turn it 180 degrees. So you could think you've got the best plan in place to get yourself out of the dungeon, picked up your treasure worth 20 points and you're like, yes, I'm on my way out. I'm going to kill this. This is great. Everyone else is going to die in the dungeon while I get all the points. Not necessarily so, because if the board turns in and you get stuck facing a direction where you now have to build an entire new section of the board to get yourself out, that's what's going to happen. Mm. And I love that. I think it definitely adds an extra layer of fun. It levels the game out a little bit more because no matter how many times you've played Clank, if the board shifts and now you're facing the wrong direction, there's nothing you can do. There's no strategy that's getting you out of that. You just have to go with it. So do you think, I know you said that sort of Clank is a, a beginner's game. One of the, um, I'm trying to think whether Clank might have been. I don't think it was the first step building game I played. I didn't play a lot of Magic, but it, the original Clank or Clank in Space, but it probably was close. How about you two, because had you played sort of many deck building games before you played Clank? Yes. Other than Magic? Oh, I know you had. <laughs> Rod definitely had. But I think other than Magic the Gathering, but I never built my own decks. I used to just play with their decks. So I had no idea that it was sort of a deck builder. Whereas Rod, Rod plays Magic all the time. So what other deck builders have you played, Rod? Well, when I was young, like when I was younger and like it was the early days of board games, um, Japan was obsessed with um, deck builders. Like the most popular one was Tanto Kiwari, which is um, a made version of Dominion. 
I've not actually ever played Dominion before either. So, yeah, I had no idea that's where deck builders came from. But that, I think, is one of the beautiful things about doing these chats is, you know, you learn something new every time. But Dominion is also... um has suffered the fact that people have taken what Dominion is and made it a mechanic in a gazillion other games. Um, it now, if you play Clank uh, a lot, if you played so many of the other deck building games that use that same mechanic out there, then Dominion is just like, oh, this is a really ordinary deck builder. It doesn't innovate at all. It's like, no, it innovated a lot because it invented this thing in the first place. <laughs> and yeah. That, and that is it. So that's a, t- that's a bit of a gotcha, I think, and f- uh, for the designer. But it has meant that Dominion's an, an evergreen game. You know, it's one of those kind of like um, uh, yeah, games. Where if it hadn't been created, our hobby would have been very different. If somebody else had had the idea for doing a deck builder, they might have made different choices about how that deck building mechanic worked. And then all the people building deck builders afterwards might have copied that. So a change to the design Dominion could have affected hundreds of games, um, uh, some of the most popular games today. And it is, it's definitely uh, really interesting. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, and in terms of just game design achievements that have had an impact, it's, it's you know, certainly between 2000 and 2010, it's one of the most impactful games that was designed, full stop. Nice. So how disability or neurodiverse friendly do we think Clank and the Clank series in general is? Rod, why don't you take this one? It definitely plays to the strengths of um, the neurodiverse people who would tend to keep to themselves a bit more because deck builders by their nature are more I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play up to my board and what I do mostly affects me and the only real and the small interactions are where you place your your meeple on the board and which part of the map you go to. It can get a bit overwhelming in time, especially when you've built up your deck to play 10 to 12 cards per turn, or someone else has played their deck to play 12 to 10 cards a turn, so you may often find yourself sitting quietly, patiently, while some while three other people have their turns for 12 minutes. We might just go, I play five <laughs> cards, I buy one card, and my turn, and just watch the other guy pop off for 12 minutes. I actually, I really like Clank in that I like a game that allows me to sit back and relax and tune out for a minute because it is definitely one of those games where, to be honest, it really doesn't matter what everybody else on the board is doing that much because you can sit there and watch the cards and plan what you're going to do. But if the person before you buys the card that you want anyway, you're already back at square one. Do you not? Because there's another approach to that, isn't there, Jen? Which is to basically look at another card and go, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, and, there is. and go, oh, Jen wants yeah. that one, but take it off her. <laughs> you don't have to go, go home that with her. That's, that your, that's your thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't suffer my wrath later when I'm raging about having lost Clank. <laughs> I don't even remember who won in the weekend there. I think I'm you getting a lot better. At... I think I oh, think did you I? Jen. I think Rod, oh, is that right? <laughs> I think That's I think really Jen won quite comfortable because Rod, you 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 did a runner and you went, you know what, I'm gonna get out before everyone gets eaten. Oh, that, uh, yeah. that was, and for no, a while it looked like that was the right thing to do, but we we just it, we just pipped you. Like the problem is the first card I bought was move three spaces, make three clank, which anyone who plays clank knows. 
that's the best way to that's the best way to get yourself killed. But I thought if I even though I could got this card early on, this would let me do basically the runner to the first treasure I could find and go back to the store, which is a legitimate strategy. But the only downside is you open up more turns for other players to buy more stuff and get more points than you. So it's a double-edged sword. Actually, do you know, one of the things I really do like about Clank, and I think this is something that, bit of a tip, this is a great game for people who both like to play competitively and people who like to play cooperatively. Before you start playing, decide what you want to play it as. If you're going to be playing competitively or cooperatively, especially Clank Legacy, because if you all decide you're going to be playing Clank Legacy cooperatively and one person starts being competitive i can tell you from personal experience you're going to get really annoyed we actually had this come up in the clank legacy we played where we'd all agreed we were going to play cooperatively so if somebody was on really low health we weren't going to well one of the mechanics in the game is if you do buy from the market and another card comes out those cards are what triggers the dragon or the beast attack and if you've got somebody that's almost dead playing the game with you and another beast attack comes out and they die, they're going to be pretty annoyed because there is a safe zone in the game where even if you do die, you still get your points. You just don't get your bonus points for reaching the end. But then there's also a point where you could have the best deck of cards with the most points and the most valuable treasure in the game and then somebody pulls out a dragon attack and you die and you don't get anything and people can get pretty annoyed. So we actually, we did have that happen during our legacy game where one person was being really competitive and just wanted to win. And we, oh my goodness, I raged. I raged so hard. I like walked outside, called my sister and started raging at my sister about this person we were playing with. <laughs> and um, unfortunately I didn't realize that they heard me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely decide if you are playing clank competitively or cooperatively and stick with it because otherwise you may have some very ragey players so, on your so i suppose that would be semi-cooperatively because there might still be a winner but just um just because i've not played clank legacy does clank legacy have a an official cooperative uh, mode mm. or did you have like kind of an unofficial agreement to make sure that you could all grow your characters in- can i answer that one okay so mm-hmm. there is no there is no official we have to pay this cooperatively, um, not corporately, but there are game mechanics set into the board game that hinder or, or reward you based on how well you do as a team. Um, basically, if you played um, Acquisitions Incorporated, you know that you've got your your rival fac, uh, company, uh, Dranax, and they're involved in the board, and they get, they, you know, they get a, they get Mechanically, they get stuff over you if you have party members die or you don't meet certain certain um, quests in the game. So there is that concept of we can play this com- competitively, but if we do, we're going to have the game board game actively hinder us, whereas if we all play cooperatively and we work as a team, we're all actively playing against the board. So it's not... It's not... <laughs> It's not like Pandemic where if you don't all cooperate and play together, you're going to lose anyway. Like you can still play competitively and have fun with it, but it's really bad form. (laughs) To start being 
competitive when you've all agreed to a cooperative game. But I feel like I think I think I think that 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 that's probably true. Rod, do you say? This is more like this will more go back towards the the rule zero conversation, which is more commonly known in the magic community. That before you sit down and play the game, you all just have a little chat what what the expectations are of the game is. Because some because you know actual magic is mostly we're gonna hang around for the next hour or so. Let's make sure everyone's not miserable with how the game turned out. So either we all agree we all play competitive decks, or we'll just play the casual decks, and you know, at the end of the day someone has to win. Absolutely. With, um, yeah. With with Clank, Clank is a so the, the the reasons Clank might not be for you, and I think that's is that it's there is a kind of push your luck element to it. In any game with a push your luck element to it, you might push your luck and be unlucky. And sometimes luck is unfair. Oh, yeah. So it is entirely appropriate. And in Clank, it's quite funny. Or it's meant to be funny. It's If somebody funny. ends up trying to basically go, oh, I'm going to get this extra bit. And then they end up dead in a dungeon and they get zero points and everyone has a bit of a <laughs> laugh. As long as you collectively and as a group find that can get into that mm. because that's part of it you know you push your luck and sometimes you know kind of it's not always going to work out it's a game i think clank is one of the base designs you know and just, just in terms of playing it's just awesome there's a couple of things that i'm going to nitpick about clank catacombs and they're not really about the game itself um but it's something that's worth being maybe just a little bit aware of and i don't know whether it's to do with going back to their original publisher so clank historically was always made by renegade games um, Direwolf, the designers and developers, took the rights to Clank back um, and published them themselves. And the only thing about the Clank Catacomb set is that it perhaps feels a bit cheaper produced. And I think it's a cheaper game for it, which is good and accessible uh, in, in that way than the other ones. Only marginally, the cards seem exactly the same. The thing that is different is that the tiles in the board seem a little bit flimsy and thin. And there's these little lockpick tokens that you use to uh, unlock your treasure chests, unlock your major secrets. They are tiny. Mm. Um, Big fingers, you're trying to pick up these tiny little cardboard tokens. I I find them like, you know, kind of, I'm fiddling. It's fine for me with tiny hands. And Jen, Jen does like, Jen sews. Right, her yeah. hands can pick up anything. They could find the head of a pin and pick it up accurately <laughs> off the right? She, she, she does that kind of crap. So can my feet, trust I'm, me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do that, but I paint plastic figures sometimes for my games, right? So that involves a certain amount of dexterity, but picking up those lockpick tokens, they wouldn't have been too hard to make them like just a few millimeters bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the tiles, they've got a little bit of warping to them. So, because they're not quite thick enough. So they, it's, it's not, a hugely high budget game the components are a little bit sort of cheap and cheerful in places in a way that is maybe a little more so than original clank the game and the, the variety in those tiles and how it swings it is just hands down brilliant mm-hmm. and it is the best clank out there so yes i also have a nitpick mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. my nitpick is based on playability for people with disabilities so one thing i have noticed about clank is it's probably not the most friendly game if at least the new one i don't think it's the most friendly game if you are colorblind because i don't think there's enough Mm. variation in the color of the tiles for a start Um, the board the normal clank board game itself does have a very good delineation to let you know where the safe zone is the new one does not it is very 
Yeah, it. I mean, it's very, like, even looking at it myself, I was like, wait, where is the safe zone? And it wasn't until you pointed out to me, Chris, that those ones are purple and those ones are dark blue, that I went, oh, yeah, there is a difference in the colour of them. I do like that all the player tokens now are differently shaped. Mm. That is a step in the right direction. The other clanks where all the player tokens are the same shape that needs improvement because that could also cause issues for colorblind players. I also think the little squares that you use as the health tokens could also be improved. And the easiest way to improve those would be simply to have a little flat token that has a symbol on it instead of just a color. Mm, yeah, the color's hard because, yeah, because it has to be the same size and the same shape because you have to draw them blind out of a bag. Yes. So you've got no no options there, isn't it? And they do have red and green. Like as long as they're not engraved, so you can feel the difference. Like, but like just having like you could or having like little stickers with like different um, player symbols. You could paint on them, but you could also just make them as little flat discs with different symbols on them. Oh, yeah. And I think that would improve the game for colorblind people a lot more than having little squares that are all the same size that are just different colors. That mm. can make it hard that's, to play. That's true with a lot of wooden cube games, isn't it, in general? Yeah. There's, 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 it's just one of the standard things. And it, it's not, I think if you're only red-green colorblind, then there's usually a way around it simply by yeah. avoiding using both red and green if you've got that option and and some games will do that if it's if it's deeper color blindness than that then that can be very very mm. difficult because they're wooden cubes yeah there's there's only so much you can do with that without changing as you say jen to a different kind of token my other pick about the game is that there isn't a player guide which isn't necessarily a bad thing because it's a very easy game to play but i still think that a player guide it's pretty essential for every game. Like it's it's great just to have that reminder of, especially if you are somebody who maybe has really bad anxiety and you feel really bad about asking other people questions. Maybe you're trying to use board games as a way to get into social situations to, you know, learn more about interacting with other people and you feel really anxious about asking questions because you don't want to look stupid. Simply having a player guide available for people that's just, it. I mean, Burger Up, one of the most simple games out there, even that has a player guide. And I don't think it's too much to ask game developers to just put a little player guide in each of the games. It can be super simple, but it can also be super freeing for people that don't like looking stupid. There is, I think Clank, um, you're right, has got, because there's a there's a reference guide with it, the tokens, like the secrets and stuff, because they have like icons on them and so on. You want to work out what they mean. And there's these prisoners that you can rescue for end game bonuses. And they have little icons on them. And there's a reference sheet for all of those. I have to admit, a pet peeve of mine, we, we're going to, this is going to be like every podcast, isn't it? We're going to keep on going about player aids. <laughs> but a pet peeve of mine is when you have like the, the floppy A4 sheet. So it's better than nothing. But you know when you've got a reference thing, the guide, and it's on one of these board game box size floppy sheets, and feel like there's the noise of the uh, <laughs> floppy sheet ruffling around from Clank. Right, trying to pick that thing up across the table, drag it around, put it around. It's that they're a bit unwieldy, so you kind of want something on 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 card. But with Clank, you don't have any reference there for things like the the icons and probably the most tricky are things like some of the specifics on the cards. So some of the cards will say things like acquire or arrive 
on them and their keywords and they're in one bit of the book. Then you've got cards in Clank Catacombs, which are devices and devices are a new type of card in Clank. And again, that's somewhere else in the book. So you've got references for some of it, but that's actually a fair point. And when we were playing Catacombs, we all played Clank before and I played Catacombs before. And yet we were all looking at some point through the book to try and work out what something yeah. is and I'd forgotten what the devices were. So so that was a, that, that was a tricky one. Um, something that I do want to give a call out for, Planck's solo is supported by a an app. Um, and the, the app for sort of Clank um, is in fact, it's a whole um, bunch of sort of games that are supported uh, by the various different um, uh, different sort of Clank apps, um, has a, a whole bunch of different scenarios that come out of the sort of Clank app. Um, and the, um, the one for Clank in space I've played and I want to give a really call out for just because A, it's great fun. It tells you what the solo beast does or what your opponent does every single time as you're walking through. It gives you almost a little bit of story around it and gives it some flavor. It's also got a real earworm of a tune that kind of goes <laughs> alongside it. And I don't know whether or not I can get the... Um, uh, they do have something which will come up um, in terms of the, uh, you know, in, in, in the app, which you can actually use it for multiplayer. And I don't know what it does if you play multiplayer with the Clank app. Um, so the, um, but I'm going to see if I can get the, uh, get the tune going, um, a little bit, see if I can We work will it also out. leave um, a link in the podcast information to the app. If you are wanting to download that for yourself, I actually think that Clank Catacombs as well could use a player mat, not because I love the mechanic of building your own board, but I actually think having a player mat, even just a big square one, that's got like. 10 by 10 and if you go off the side of it cool you go off the side of it but I actually think having that guide would be really useful because even we found playing it ourselves on the weekend it was really hard to know where do you actually put the cards where do you put the market where are we putting the board for everything without going oh my god are we going to have to move this around so I think having a big player map with a guide as to you know put the starting tile in the middle and build around it I actually think that would be really useful for the game, even if you do build off of the edge. Yeah, it needs a big table. And, yeah, and Clank very big table. doesn't respect your table. Right? No. It will try and fall <laughs> off the edge of your table and onto the floor <laughs> and onto the furniture. Uh, so, so, yeah, it does need a bit of laying out. And and you look at the game and you think, there is no, just Jen says, there is no picture of you know the table with everything laid out on it there's a reason for that there is no easy way of doing it you kind of have to improvise a little bit so that be aware of that a really really big round table like a big one with everyone sat around is probably the best way to play clank catacombs which unfortunately isn't what you often get in games cons Um, if you go to a gaming night or a typical gaming event with those big rectangular tables and you can shove two of them together into a square do that that's what we did when we were playing it the other week and it's because you will go off the edge of it it's very very difficult to keep it constrained all in all though i think we all agree the clank series of games really bring something very very fun to your table if you haven't played any of them before grab any of them they're absolutely amazing next time you're at a convention Ask if they've got Clank. I'm absolutely sure they'll have at least one version of Clank there, whether it is the original, the newest one, Catacombs or Clank in Space. Clank Legacy, if you want to take it on, absolutely go for it. Play it with people that you really love and respect 
because <laughs> it can get really competitive. And if you're seeing those people over and over again for about 12 games in a row, I definitely want to be people that you enjoy spending time with, that's for sure. So that brings us to our fun topic of the day. Chris, what is our fun topic of the day? So our fun topic of the day from the rounds of things where we're thinking too much about stuff to do with board games is, is having more cards in your game always a good thing or not? So I guess what we're talking about here is expansions. So when an expansion brings in more cards or even just games that have a really huge deck, is that a better thing? So that's it's about a worse thing. And it's a bit of a point of intro to this question, which will go, because we talked last week about whether or not there was a risk of the deck being diluted, which I'm going to talk in, in Arc Nova and Everdell. Um, and mainly we're talking expansions because we talked about how like Everdell couldn't expand uh, easily using cards because it would mess up the deck. However, on the other note, um, Jamie Stegmeier um, from Stonemaier Games, uh, the publisher, um, often takes the opposite approach, which is actually to say, let's have more and more and more cards. And so when Wingspan was being uh, first created, one of the key bits of feedback that went back to the designer was actually to create more cards, which makes things more swingy. And it does make things more swingy on purpose. And that's something people say about Stonemaier Games in both positive and a negative light. So what do we think, um, Rod? You, as a major sort of card player, what's your what's your feeling? More cards or less focus cards? Um, this does remind me of a new conversation topic that Magic has had recently, and it has brought up a new meme, which is Magic players don't remember Magic cards ever. Which, <laughs> like, you just look at the card and go, "Yeah, this does this." The reason for that is because there's over ten thousand different ma unique Magic cards. Are they all mechanically unique? No. But there are certain archetypes to it, like there will obviously be a three-cost spider that has reach and block flyers. We know what that is, and you may call it something else, but, you know, in a day you call a spade a spade. Um, so there is, the, there is the argument that if you just have a very small card pool of the same cards, it doesn't feel as exciting as having... A bigger card pool, but they're mechanically five cards, because then you get more card art, more names, more more chances to add like little flavor to the to your game and have more moments of oh, this is cool. Oh, I really like this art. That's that's part of the reason why card games appeal to people because it it triggers that part of the monkey brain of ooh shiny stuff. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? Do you like when uh, cards bring in more or games bring in more cards? Um, I'm, so for me, I do lean on thinking that more cards is often more fun. And I can see it's different in different sorts of games. But the, the particular reason that I find myself sort of quite intrigued by this is some of the discussions that have been around... Um, around Stonemaier Games, and, and that's why I sort of raised Stonemaier Games. So you mentioned Wingspan. Wingspan has 170 cards, or 170 birds. Mm. Let's stick about the bird cards, all unique in the in the basic box. And that's another factor, because the cards are they're all different in some way. Um, once you put the expansions in, that adds another 260 so far, with two expansions to go. So when you add that up, that's almost 500 unique birds. They're all going to be different. So when you play the game, 
So you're going to get different cards each time. You're going to get cards that come up in one game and not in another. And if you go, oh, I'm just going to wait and see if that woodpecker comes out. That woodpecker <laughs> probably won't come out. It's statistically improbable. Mm. So you'll keep seeing new cards. And some of those cards might give somebody a really good luck boost because their strategy happens to fit the cards that come out. Your strategy, ugh, it depended on cards that aren't coming out because they're right at the bottom of the pile. So a lot of players don't like that. And this is a Stonemaier Games thing. If you go back into their games, uh, Tapestry, um, a game uh, I, I sort of love deeply and full confession, you know, and obviously I was one of the playtesters on the solo mode with the original Tapestry and I have playtested some of the Wingspan expansions. So, um, so I remember sort of first getting into that game and starting to understand how it goes as a playtester and then seeing how that game then emerged when it went public. Um, that also has the same thing where you've got all these different powers coming off this massive variety of tapestry cards that's again grown and all the tech cards that have grown and the civilization rules. And once you add all these combinations together, the amount of different combinations is eye-watering. And so no game is ever even close to the same. Go back to Viticulture in the Stonemaier catalogue, you know, classic evergreen game. You have all those cards representing visitors to your vineyard and they can swing the game wildly. Um, based upon, you know, whether or not you've picked a strategy that fits the visitors' cards that come up in that deck. So a lot of people will say, well, not only can't remember them, I can't strategize, I can't plan. The best player may not win. Um, the argument from uh, sort of Stonemaier, or not an argument, because I think uh, Jamie's not an argumentative type, but the argument from Stonemaier has been that if you basically have an expansive range of cards, that variety that comes into that keeps the game fresh keeps the game interesting and it does say access a leveler because if you um if you get a whole bunch of cards that are different and you're maybe a beginner to the game but those cards suit the strategy you've taken you've got a chance to get one over on the really competitive and experienced player who thought they had a plan but the cards didn't quite come up mm. as they wanted now the experienced player is still more likely to win but you've got a chance and Absolutely. both of those things make the game worth coming back to again and again and again because you always see something new. And that, I think, when it's done well and when new cards are added that are good, is great. Oh, there's also one um, mechanical I... reason to add for the giant stack of bird cards. I love the fact that every card in Wingspan has factoids about unique birds. Absolutely. But like, but like you can just be there waiting your turn and be like, oh, did you know that the Peregrine Falcon has a wingspan of over 120 centimeters? That's cool. It is, yeah, that is actually something that I think is really cool about wingspan itself. I really like games that introduce more cards because... I really, as much as I am competitive when I do play games, I'm I'm getting better. I am chilling out and having more fun with it. <laughs> I really, really hate people that just have a set way that they play something and their entire aim of playing that game is just to win. Like, cool, we all want to win. It's fun when you do. But at the end of the day, what's more important is having a great time. And I think the people who get upset about mob cards being introduced are people that have very certain ways that they like to play games. And at the end of the day, isn't the whole point to play it new every time? And if you've just got the same combination of cards coming up all the time, wouldn't that get boring after a while? That being said, 
we do have a couple of friends that we do play wingspan with on a regular basis who every single time go, oh, I'm not having the best game and always win, always, without fail, play with Brian. He's like, oh, I'm not having a great game, always wins. And he doesn't just win by like two or three points. He always wins by like 20, 30 points. Amy's exactly the same. I love her, but she's played wingspan so much. She knows how to combine those cards. And no matter how much she's like, I'm not having a great game, she wins every single time that being said Aww. i still love playing with both of those people because they just make it fun for everybody else and i think that's one of the really good things about our community in general is finding those people who no matter how experienced they are just want to make it fun for other people so I'm going to I'm going to be a little controversial and put it out there and say if you have a problem with more cards in the game is the game the problem or is your attitude to playing the game the problem? I it is yeah that that's a, I th I think I I say amen to that it's all about making the game good for the people around the table and good for each other. Um the uh, there are I think the the thing about putting more cards in the game it does need some care and to be done properly. Uh, and I think there are examples of games where you'd have an expansion with more cards where you go they're great I'm not going to use them because they're rubbish. Now that's different. That's if someone's put out an expansion and you think, oh, it's a rubbish expansion. But the um, one of the things which um, you've got to be quite careful on is if you add something new into those cards and there's a tension between just having more and more that does something new, but then that can potentially break the game. And it's interesting how different games are dealt with it. So Wingspan in um, the Australian expansion, um, it's got a new type of resource because it brings in nectar. Got these birds uh, that... that, that sort of like go nectar seeking um i know full well the birds in my garden aren't looking for nectar yep. um they're, 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 they're just looking for bugs and anything that they can find in a bin but you know kind of it's uh but there are lots bin of birds in, in, the, in the more sort of rows yeah <laughs> bin chickens cockatoos magpies yeah they sound because we're, we're on that end of australia but the um but the um the thing about the nectar resource is if they'd have introduced the nectar resource and obviously any of the Australian cards have it because the old cards, th there was no nectar and any of the newer cards, well, you might not have the Australian expansion, so they can't include nectar either. So if you've got 500 cards, only like 95, 70 of them could possibly include nectar. So why would you buy any nectar? So what they did is they made nectar a wild resource. So nectar can be then substituted for anything, but if something specifically needs nectar, then you have it for that. You've got this other nectar collecting game that can go on when you're playing in that expansion. And that means that if you've got a deck of 500 cards and almost none of them have nectar, the nectar is still useful. If the neck hadn't have done that and they'd have just made nectar, then they would have broken the game. So they'd have done that thing, putting new cards in there. It's not the more cards that broke it, it would have been adding the nectar. Absolutely. And now for a word from our sponsors. Come one, come all for a fun day of exploration and shopping. Do you love meeting local designers? How about fun and innovative board game gadgets? Have you always wanted to chat with a publisher about your ideas? I know you love a good game market. So why not come along to the inaugural Melbourne Board Game Market, hosted by the Melbourne Meeples crew at the Collingwood Town Hall on the 27th of May. Entry is by gold coin donation, 
Check out the Melbourne Meeples Facebook group for expression of interest if you're a publisher, a designer, or just have something fun you'd like to exhibit. Of course, we're going to have forms that are available if you would like to sell a bunch of your board games as well. We would love to hear from you, so please come along to the Melbourne Board Game Market 27th of May at the Collingwood Town Hall. Entries by a gold coin donation. Doors open at 10am and close at 4. We can't wait to see you there. That's the 27th of May at the Collingwood Town Hall, the Melbourne Board Game Market. Welcome back. So we're almost at the end of our chat today, but Rod, we do have a couple more questions for you. So for a start, are there any words that you want to put out there for game designers that you think they should be taking into account with things like deck builders to make it more friendly for people who are neurodiverse? I do. Well, consistency is good, both in how you but the phrasing of the effects and if you can have the font be as big as possible but also allow enough space to have like little reminders of what the more ambiguous rules are so some cards may well, may have a special effect that only affects that's only seen on one card it'll be good to have a little reminder on the card itself rather than on a page in the rule book and then just having the absolutely the logos and the numbers as big as possible and use a clear font that can be seen that has a high contrast to the front and the back. And what's your favorite food? Uh, tacos. It's, 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 <laughs> it's kind of like cheating because it's like saying, I like sandwiches. A sandwich can be anything as long as you slap it in between two pieces of bread. But those that don't know us, there's a reason I'm laughing really hard about that. I know it's hard to tell because we can all hear that Rod's got an accent, but Rod is actually Mexican. So it's it's kind of like saying to an English person, what's your favourite food? And they reply, roast. Because it's like the most quintessentially English thing ever is a Sunday roast. So, yeah, you're playing hard to your heritage there, my love. <laughs> yeah. You ask, you ask, ask my boy what his favourite food is, he'll say fish and chips. Which is the okay. other quintessential English thing that's in this. So that it's uh, so he, he's, he's he's the same. I've got a question for you, Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever played a game uh, with Jen which ended in a right storming row or Jen storming off? Uh, and have, <laughs> if so, what it was it? And have you been able to play it again? Um, it was probably the first time we played. Um, we were still just getting to know each other. We were playing a lot of Ticket to Ride. And and I believe that Jen was on Jen was under the impression that I was building I did say out loud, hey, I'm gonna build this track just to just to cut you off because I can't win. Mm-hmm. But I didn't say the full thought process <laughs> of I'm gonna use this she's gonna build this track to cut you off and also need that track because I need to build it for my own thing. So she only had the first part which I understand it can be very upsetting. But look, I never play, I never deliberately make moves just to make other people lose. We've played a lot of Ticket to Ride since then. Did you win that game, Rod? Oh, yeah, I lost. Did you secretly win that game? No, he did not. I still won. (laughs) 
I mean, there is a reason why we never play Russia is because Jen cannot win that one. Oh, ever. I I can win Russia. Thank you. I just don't like it. <laughs> I um look story behind that. I do have a bit of a pet peeve because I did start playing board games it kind of put me off board games for a while but when I was sort of first introduced back into board games as an adult I was playing with a group of people who were very competitive and one of them in particular if he couldn't win a game he would do everything he could just to make the game miserable for everybody else and that used to really really upset me so I got a little bit of a like I it's a totally legit tactic to mess up the game for somebody else. I totally get that. But because he used to do it so much, it really upset me. So I always have the philosophy of I will try very, very hard to never, ever play in a way that is if I'm like, crap, I'm not going to win. I don't just go out there to then make sure somebody else doesn't win. I literally just continue playing to see if there is a way that I can turn the game around for myself. So it wasn't really Rod's fault. He just triggered this little instinct in me that he didn't know about where he was like, I'm going to do this just to mess with you. I did not flip the table mainly because I couldn't physically lift the table because it was a very heavy table. I didn't mm-hmm. flip the board, <laughs> but I did have a tantrum. <laughs> yeah. But you couldn't get your fingers under the board because the board needs to be raised up a little bit to properly flip the board without flipping the table. So that's <laughs> correct. That's right. No, that that's it's. I think it's 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 funny because I the, the the general in this weird world we sort of live in. There's still that general rule, isn't it, that says that good rule of thumb is just don't be a dick. Mm. And I yeah. think we, we sort of sound like that's, that's, you know, kind of that'd be an ethos that we carry into board gaming. There are some games where actually it is like, it, you're not being a dick if you're being a dick in this game, because this game is about being a dick. Munchkin is the obvious example for mm. that. I, I love I, Munchkin. It's, it's right. yeah. <laughs> I like- a Munchkin is a game about being a dick. So it's, right. so <laughs> in that sense, right, you've got certain rules and certain constraints around that, but it is something, probably the one thing where you need to be 100% on a level with the people around the table. Yeah. If, if you've got a game where being a dick is part of the game, then that's kind of, everyone needs to know that. And everyone needs to know that up front and be in for that. Otherwise, you know, you kind of have to, to, to respect because it's, it's that shared experience that matters. That's, that's the thing mm. that's important about playing games. I think the lesson in that person's tactics as well is that everybody else who's a part of that board game group, they all still play together that one person is never invited anymore because mm-hmm. it was always just how can I, like, if I'm not going to win, how can I make it crap for everybody else? And everybody knows it. And everybody knows who knows me, who knows that person. We know exactly who I'm talking about and I'm not going to say their name. But, <laughs> no. No. yeah, that that person is quite often not invited to any board game events at all anymore. And, you know... If that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to find in your life. So I am a 100% firm believer that kindness is free. You put out into the world what you get back. So if you're going to put out kindness and happiness and love, you'll get it back. You're going to be an asshole when you play board games with people. No one's going to invite you next time. Amen to that. And probably there is not a better place, I think, to end uh, on on our sort of final thought for the pod. Um, Here we are to to say hurrah until next time. Um, I guess. And what is our game? Are we going to reveal anything about our game uh, of the pod for next time? Our game for next time? 
is going to be all about wildlife. It's going to be all about building your own map. We're looking at Cascadia. So stay tuned for the next one. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Rod, for being our guest today. And we hope that you come back again next time. Have an awesome day. And just remember, play fair. Bye. Take care. Bye.